0: You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. As the U.S. fights the spread of the coronavirus, this crisis is hitting us when we'd normally be getting ready for wildfire season. And this upcoming season could be a tough one for some states out west, especially California. California.
1: I really want to talk about how dry we've been on our two wettest months. January and February have been abysmal. The average is almost 7 inches, and we've received not even a half an inch. It's really taken a toll.
0: And with a dry, hot winter, you get a lot of dry vegetation. Dry grasses, brush, perfect kindling for a wildfire. So right about now, we should be gearing up and preparing. But the firefighters that we rely on to control wildfires are still facing the same pandemic we all are. Like in San Jose. Just started with one firefighter here, spread to four throughout the department. Two more are symptomatic and are being tested. And the firefighters union said- In some cases, just being a firefighter can put you at higher risk for bad COVID-19 complications
1: if you've spent years inhaling smoke. You have this population that is going out into a situation where they already, to some degree, lung-damaged, and they're breathing in more smoke, and then you have exposure to this respiratory illness on top of it." That's
0: Kendra pierre Lewis. She reports on climate for the New York Times. Recently she wrote an article looking at all of this. She says the good news is… There's still time to do
1: things to make it a less bad fire season. You know, not to get all Terminator on you, but like, there is no fate but what we make, you know? (laughs) I am here for the Terminator reference.
0: So today on the show, Kendra Pierre-Lewis on how the coronavirus pandemic could hinder our ability to fight wildfires. I'm Maddie Safaya, and this is Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR. So a couple of weeks ago, Kendra wrote an article for The New York Times focused on how the coronavirus pandemic will impact this year's wildfire season, which ramps up in May for a lot of states out west.
1: So there are kind of two ways of preparing for it. One, firefighters who are trained, they go out and they start either clearing brush themselves or they go around looking at people's properties to make sure that they're in compliance with brush clearance. The thing is, is though, California, at least at the time when I wrote the piece, LA had had to put that program on hold. They were having difficulties training staff. Everything that you do with training involves getting people in groups, and we can't get people in groups together. And so they were unsure of when they would actually be able to get the people trained and then on the land. So there's
0: already trainings that are obviously being canceled. They're also not doing as many of these inspections and trying to kind of reduce that brush. I've also heard that they are canceling prescribed burns, right, which is where we go ahead of fire season and burn out some of that kindling.
1: Yeah. And in California. A lot of the forest is Forest Service land. So the state itself as a state actually has limited control over it. But on Forest Service lands, they've canceled all prescribed burns. And that's not just in California. Um, That's in the Pacific Northwest. And as far as I can tell from the statement that they sent me, that's kind of throughout the country. Anywhere that would have a prescribed burn this time of year, they're not doing it. And their stated reason is because we know that wildfire smoke can trigger respiratory responses. If you're asthmatic, if you're elderly, like it can lead to some negative health effects. And they try their best to manage and mitigate that. But now we have a lot of people who may potentially be infected with COVID, and they didn't want that overlap of this respiratory illness kind of ravaging through communities with smoke. And so it was managing that risk, but it's in the same time, it's creating a new risk, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. so. And and I'm not criticizing that decision. Like, this isn't me being like, oh, well, they shouldn't have done that or they should have done that. It's just like those are the facts. By like, like it makes sense why they chose not to do it. But it does open us up to other risks. I mean, it's probably hard to say, but I have to
0: imagine that's going to be a big deal when the fires start. Right.
1: Right. So right around the time that my piece published, the Forest Service said that they had convened a task force to figure out how you fight fires during a pandemic.
0: And that's Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm.
1: everything that you do to fight wildfire in particular involves teamwork. And so people often think that like fires are suppressed by those like giant um, airplanes dumping water. Those don't put out a fire. They just get the fire down enough to make it easier to fight on the ground. Well, those hotshot crews that go out, they are usually teams of 20 and they usually go out in trucks with 10 person per truck. Right. So like if one person has COVID. Right. Right you potentially you've now exposed 20. And then on big fires, they bring in people from all over the state or um, from all over the country, rather, and sometimes from all over the world. People from Australia or New Zealand have in the past come down to fight fires with us. Oh, okay. You know, we, we send people to Australia, right? But now we don't know if people are going to be able to come to help us if it's a bad fire season. And and then there's another element, which I hadn't fully appreciated, which is that there's kind of this like, I know. I think in my head, like this badass crew of um, like retired government officials from like the interior and like the Forest Service who know how to fight fires. And they come out of retirement during these big fires to volunteer on these fires. But they're also older. They're in their 60s. There's a real question mark if they're going to come out this year.
0: So let's talk a little bit about how firefighters, you know, like the situations that they work in. Right. What I learned from your piece that I didn't know is that. When firefighters are trying to fight a particularly big fire, they often construct these fire camps. Tell me a little bit about what those look like.
1: They're almost like like a festival ground only for firefighters i guess they're kind of a giant um you know backcountry campground um that they erect they can be as big as 1500 people i i think my understanding is like 500 is more normal but you know there are cleaning stations there is you know it's where they get fed and it's just kind of like the base camp for fighting the fire and a location that makes it relatively easy to access the fire but is also relatively safe from the fire um, and so you have hundreds of people in a, in a location with questionable sanitation. And this is not a judgment. This is just a reality of erecting kind of a makeshift. No, this is all yeah. camping.
0: This is just <laughs> all camping in general, I feel. Like. Yeah.
1: In 2009, there was a really large outbreak of neurovirus. And, and kind of more routinely, there's something called camp crud that happens where, um, you know, sort of by the end of fire season, everyone is just sort of sick. Um, everyone has everybody's cold or like mild infections. And normally it's not catastrophic. You know, it's just annoying but we know with covid there's a range it could be something as mild as like oh i notice that i can't taste anything to oh i literally need to be intubated or i might die right so like so the the fact that that disease has such a range in trajectory is what makes it so dangerous um and so there's a real question about well can you set up a fire camp this year and how do you set up a fire camp to minimize contagion right um Because you don't want it to be a situation where all of a sudden you have 500 people who've been exposed.
0: And there's also going to be this problem for the people that are evacuated, right? Like people in shelters have gotten sick before. But I also feel like coronavirus is just going to play a role in evacuation in general.
1: The issue is the way we evacuate in shelters is basically we cram a lot of bodies into a confined space, which makes it easy, really easy for infection to spread. The Red Cross is on record, mostly around hurricanes, about trying to create more space in those shelters. So fewer people per shelter to kind of create some social distancing. And it also raises questions if you live in a fire prone area about what your evacuation plan should be. Because most people, at least in fires, don't necessarily evacuate to shelter. They'll evacuate to a family member or to a neighbor. But that means you're no, if we're still, especially if we're still under social distancing, like who can take you in and who has the capacity to take you in without necessarily risking infection themselves. Did you get a sense from
0: the experts that you talked to in your own research that we're okay trying to address some of these problems right now? Or are we in a, like, it's almost too late scenario?
1: We absolutely still had time, which is why it pushed so hard for us to do the story when we did it. I didn't, what I don't, it's an interesting line as a reporter, right? Because you, I'm not an activist and I'm not like, prescriptive. I'm not telling anyone what to do, but it was very important to me. Like when I realized that there was a problem here, I wanted to get it out in a place where people could start thinking about it and addressing it so that come summer, I don't have to write another terrible story about fire season.
0: There was one more thing that Kendra and I talked about, an element that we haven't had before in wildfire season, the role that social distancing might play.
1: In the United States, most wildfires are started by humans. Sometimes that's intentional, as in arson, and sometimes that's unintentional. But because everyone is socially isolating, there's hope. <laughs> this is going to sound dark, but there's hope that because we're not sort of outside as much in nature, hopefully, that we might not be starting as many fires. Now, the flip side, which is we might all be super, super, super cabin fevery, but also really trying to socially distance, and so we might be going further afield and we've kind of already seen that happen this year where they like made going into the national parks free and then they had an issue where like the national parks are sort of overrun with people trying to get out of their home but socially distance and then couldn't socially distance because they were overrunning the same place and so it's kind of a question mark is a human component that was
0: Kendra Pierre Lewis a reporter on the New York Times climate desk This episode was produced by Sylvie Douglas, edited by Viet Le, and fact-checked by Emily Vaughn. I'm Maddie Safaya, and we're back with more Shortwave from NPR on Monday.